Okay, we are in, uh, the, we're at the last of the Ten Commandments, which is thou shalt not covet. Um, I will be honest with you, it blows me away that we spent ten weeks in the Ten Commandments. I did not expect that. I thought we'd lump a bunch of them together, but it's been, it's been good for me to go through them and to think through them as we have. Uh, we can thank especially Jesus in the New Testament for opening the key to the Ten Commandments for us. Uh, that we're looking at them not from the negative side, what don't they tell us to do, but from the positive side, what do they tell us that we're supposed to do? Um, we can focus on the negative, that becomes legalism. We move over to that positive side and, and now we're in the realm that Jesus wants, that we're obeying our Father uh, from the heart. When you get to the 10th commandment, um, this is thou shalt not covet. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's read the 10 commandments. We haven't done that for a while. Um, and since this is our last week with it, um, starting with Exodus 20 verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, showing, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So that's the one that we end with, you shall not covet. Um, this is an interesting command. This actually goes to what Jesus does for all of the commands. It's an interesting command because there's no way to know if you're doing it. Look around the room. Anybody see anybody coveting in here? But somebody might be coveting. Somebody may be looking at another man's wife and saying, I wish I had that wife. Somebody might be looking at somebody and saying, I wish I had his money. Some of you may be looking at, and by the way, it may not be a bad thing. Some of you may be looking and saying, I just wish I had a husband or a wife. Or I wish my kids were like their kids. I wish my family was like that family. I wish I had his car. I wish I had, you don't know that that's happening. Not only that, you'll never know that it's happening. If you do know, it's because of something that's already happened, right? We can assume that King David coveted um, 
What's his? Uriah, there we go. <laughs> I looked it up last night so I wouldn't forget it. You can assume that David coveted Uriah's wife. But is that what he gets in trouble for? No, he gets in trouble for the adultery, the murder, uh, the deception, and actually stealing. I mean, that's what Nathan says. You took something that belonged to somebody else. The, the coveting may lead to those other things. And once you've committed adultery, nobody's going to go, oh, and you also coveted, right? Once you kill somebody, then go, oh, but you must have coveted before you did that. So this is a command that probably was never enforced, but it goes right to the heart. It asks the question, what's taking place inside of you? And that's the place that's between you and, and God. Um, so this is really a command that's directed, don't do this towards your neighbor, but it really is, is a unique command. We would never have a law like that. In fact, I had a Biola professor who said um, the Ten Commandments to him were this. Um, no other gods, no idols, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain, honor your father and your mother, um, no, honor the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and don't even think about it. <laughs> that was the last command, don't even think about it, okay? Now, the question is what is coveting? And, because we need to start with that, a definition, coveting, is, um, is desiring something that somebody else has. That's covenant. Covenant always, in a sense, has an object where you are looking at somebody and wanting what they have. Um, it turns out, though, that this command is expanded a little bit when you go to Deuteronomy. So, the Ten Commandments, if you don't remember, are repeated in Deuteronomy. And I want you to see this because there's an important distinction that's made the second time around. This is Deuteronomy 5. Um, and what's my verse here? Uh, verse 21. <clears throat> now watch the change in word here says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. So we're not to covet our neighbor's wife, but we're not to desire what belongs to our neighbor. And the word desire there is just that. It actually means an excessively strong desire for something. So really, in a sense, this one moves this out from just wanting what other people have to the whole realm of greed and envy, where our life is consumed by wanting things that we don't have or wanting more than what we do have. Okay? Um, notice that in a sense, uh, well, let, let's go back to uh, Exodus 20. Um, when it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, that doesn't actually probably mean his property. It means his household. And so this includes things like I mentioned at the beginning. Um, it may be that you look at your family and you look at this other person's family and you say, that person has a perfect family. I wish I had their family. 
and you become desirous of something that isn't yours. By the way, it may look perfect, it probably isn't. Um, people always look pretty good on Sunday morning, but um, you, you, it doesn't matter because we're desiring that. It may be you're desiring his job or his position. Um, and then you go into the possessions. So very few of us would, well, most of us don't have male or female servants, I don't think. Um, anybody here own an ox? How about a donkey? Brent should be here. Does he own donkeys? Okay, nobody owns donkeys, but we do have cars and quads and boats and things, right? So that's what we're talking about at that point, the things that he has or anything that is your neighbor's. Um, the point is, is that some of those things are good things. Okay. Um, it's real easy to covet, to be envious of, to be greedy for, to let our life be dominated by what we don't have. And sometimes that thing may be a good thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting a, a, um, certain things. But when it moves into this covet, this excessively strong desire for something else, then we have a problem. Then we have the sin that begins. L let's look at what coveting does. Well, let's think about it before we do that. What's the first sin ever recorded? Before the fall. Or maybe I should say the fall of Satan. What does he want? He wants to be like God. He wants God's position. The first sin was the sin of covenant. Satan coveted. Now, you might say it was also pride, but the two are going to be mixed together. How does he tempt Eve? When she saw that it was good and... Uh, she, and, and that it would make her wise, she wanted it. Satan plays that very carefully, very skillfully, that desire to covet. As you go through the Old Testament, you keep hitting coveting over and over and over again. Um, probably a, um, Cain coveted his brother's... Um, no, no, no. Um, the, the fact that his favor with God. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, may not be. Um, go over to Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> and verses 20 and 21. This is when Achan um, stole and brought down God's judgment on the entire nation of Israel. And um, they draw lots, and he gets chosen, and Joshua says, tell me what you've done. Listen to how he puts it in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord of hosts, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I what? Coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay? Does that remind you of passages in the New Testament? James chapter 1. Every man is tempted when, what? He is drawn away by his own lusts. And, and that then leads to sin, which leads to death. So, 
that picture of wanting that and taking it, but the first thing that happened was that he coveted it. He wanted it excessively. Um, who else covets in the New Testament? We already mentioned one, David, in the Old Testament. Who else covets? Simon. What does he covet? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, um, the, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, um, the guy in the New Testament who wanted the ability to cast out demons. Yeah, and then he gets pretty blasted for that. Are we going with Old or New Testament? Either one. All right. Ahab with Naboth's vineyard? Uh, there's a very good one. Um, uh, Ahab, good because I thought of it, so I have a verse for it. Uh, Dan's is probably real good, too. Um, go, to, go to 1 Kings. Let's jump over there to 1 Kings 21, verse 4. This is a classic example of coveting. Um, Ahab is the king and he wants uh, Naboth's field and so um, he he doesn't do anything except he goes and he pouts about it but he's coveting the whole time um, oh wait a minute that's first uh, 21 verse 4 okay I'm sorry um, and Ahab uh, basically Nahab said Nate Naboth says, I can't sell you my field. It would violate God's laws. And Ahab went into the house vexed and sullen because Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. So he pouted, but he's coveting. And then his wife says, I'll take care of the problem for you. She brings up false witnesses. She murders Naboth. The field goes to Ahab. And as uh, Adrian pointed out last week, that's the thing that causes God to react. Um, the fact that he used false witnesses. Um, let's, let's talk just a little bit about the consequences of coveting. Um, and then what I want to do is the same thing we've done all the way along. What's the opposite of this? You may want to be thinking about that right now. Um, and, and, and why is it so bad to do this? Because you realize our whole society is geared toward that, right? You don't ever watch a commercial without them trying to sell you something. And covetousness is a powerful tool. Covetousness causes us to want things and it, that the advertisement is often designed to make you feel like if you don't have that thing, you're missing out. You're not gonna be as happy as you would have been and by the way, the advertisement might be selling good things, but it's everything desires causes us to be covetous and want other. In fact, when I, do we still use the phrase keeping up with the Joneses? I, I don't hear it much anymore. And sometimes when I say that, kids look at me at school like, what are you talking about? But the idea that he gets a nice car, so I better get a nice car or a better car. And they do this, so I better do that too. That's covetousness. That's wanting what somebody else has and willing to do something about it. Um, go with me just a few verses. Uh, we're going to be uh, jumping around just a little bit, but Proverbs chapter 23. Starting at verse 4. <clears throat> Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. 
When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Um, the desire for riches um, you can find all the way through the Old Testament leads to frustration. You don't get what you thought you were getting when you desired riches. And here it says, when you've set your eyes on it, it's gone. I don't know if the money's gone or what you thought to get out of it is gone. Go to Matthew. Jesus comments on this, chapter 6. Starting with verse 19. We know these verses well. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor where thieves do not, and, and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is what's going to come down to the key to the, what's wrong with covenant. And we'll just kind of jump ahead to the end of the lesson. We're going to be thinking about it. Um, when you set your, your mind, your thoughts, and desire something else, then what you're not doing is what you're supposed to be doing which is setting your thoughts on God and your mind and your desire on God. You cannot serve two masters. You can't want this over here and this over here at the same time. We think that we can, but we can't. Jesus says it's impossible. You cannot serve two masters. Um, You were created to find your fulfillment and your satisfaction in one place, right? We find everything we need in God. And if you go and think that anything else will bring that satisfaction to you, will make you fulfilled, will make you happy, what you've done is taken what you were meant for, setting it aside and going after something else. And this is why the Old Testament, uh, we could spend uh, hours going through the verses in the Old Testament to talk about the effects of of covetousness and the result of it. Um, it, it. It causes us to move away from what we were made for to be looking for something else. It, it never will bring satisfaction. And that's why it doesn't matter if you're coveting even a good thing. You know, let's, let's say that you're, uh, we'll go back to that, because um, I've known a lot of gals in this place that you really want to get married. I just know if I get married, I'll be happy. Maybe. Uh, Nothing wrong with being married. But if you take and set God aside in pursuit of that, then then you've you've taken what you're supposed to be worshiping and you're worshiping something else. In fact, I would say that the 10th command is exactly the opposite of the first command. Right? What's the first command? No other gods before me. What's the last command? Don't set your desires on anything else except... God. Um, Paul very clearly tells us, in fact, let's turn there, go to, um, just a second, it's in Colossians, I believe. 
Colossians 3.5. Paul links coveting with idolatry because you are have putting something else up as your God when you covet. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 5 says, um, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. You have set up another God in your life and you want that thing more than you want God himself. That's what coveting is. And the results of that, the effect of that is devastating to us. Um, There's an entire book written in the Old Testament about coveting, about wanting things you shouldn't want. The book is Ecclesiastes. We don't have time to go through it, but you want to study um, that, read Ecclesiastes. What does Solomon say? Look, I, I didn't deny myself any pleasure. I, I, I did everything that I thought would make me happy. And what happens? All is vanity and striving after wind. And when I was done with it, I looked and I realized that I was a fool for having done that. Um, Let's just look at a couple of verses in Ecclesiastes. Just jump there because Ecclesiastes really is written toward that whole thing. If you set out your life and you decide, I'm going to set my desire on something else but God, be ready to be disappointed. So um, Ecclesiastes, um, well, you could read the whole first chapter, but Ecclesiastes 4, verses 4 through 6. Then I saw that all the toil and skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Uh, The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is, oh, boy, we went over that quick, huh? The fool, this is the man we were just talking about, folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Um, Go to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money, and by the way, I think you could put anything else in there besides God. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Um, Those things don't satisfy. They never were meant to. They're good things from God. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we ought to turn there, um, Solomon sums it all up for us. Verse 13 of chapter 12. The end of the matter, all has been heard after, the, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, let's stop, because you could just say, oh, great, just keep the commands. But remember what we're doing with the commands. The whole point of the commands is to draw us back to God, to cause us to love God and to love our neighbor. We are, we are people who were made for God. Uh, you guys know, because you've been with me for a while, I always go back to the, the, 
Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to love God, I mean, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You were made for God. You were made to find your satisfaction in God. You were made to glorify God through your worship and your obedience of him. If you go to the Heidelberg Catechism, it says, what is my only comfort? The only thing that brings any satisfaction, what's the only comfort in life and death? And it's that I am not my own, that I have been bought with a price, and that I'm able to, to serve my God. Um, let me, we're going to run out of time, but let me just take you to a few things that, um, that happen if your life is a covetous life. We've just mentioned one in Ecclesiastes 5.10. You will find yourself always craving more. Because what you're trying to satisfy yourself with doesn't satisfy. So if you think that money satisfies you, it won't. So what do you do? You want more money. If, if, you, if, if, if a man thinks that his wife is not satisfying to him, so he wants another woman, well, that, that then leads to another one after that because you're not going to find your satisfaction there. If, if you think that the car that your neighbor has or his toys will make you happy, well, then you're going to get those toys, but then somebody else has better toys, right? And, and nothing brings satisfaction. Um, we've all had the experience of Christmas morning at the end of it, looking at all the good stuff and going, oh, it's over. Now what? Isn't there anything more? No, this is it. This is Christmas. Oh, man. Whereas a, a, a day before, you would have been excited about all of those things. But now that you're yours, what do you want? You want more. So there is a constant gnawing at the heart. Rod. John MacArthur calls that the law of diminishing returns. Yeah, I think economists would call it that too. Yeah. All right. Um, it does, uh, it leads to not only dissatisfaction with the things you're after, but dissatisfaction with life itself. Um, we were just in Ecclesiastes. Go back to Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 8. Um, and actually, again, I, I'm just pointing out one verse, but there's so many in Ecclesiastes where the person finally says, what am I doing all this for? That's dissatisfaction. That's where you realize your life has no meaning and no purpose. Um, verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with his riches. So he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Um, so you will find yourself craving more, dissatisfied with what you have and dissatisfied with life itself. Um, we won't, we've already kind of mentioned it. Oftentimes it leads to breaking of the other commands. You covet a woman long enough, you may end up committing adultery. You covet a man's property long enough, you may end up stealing or deceiving. Uh, we see that play out over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, he, here for us would be a more important one. Um, it will make your prayers um, un ineffective. And it will make your life unfruitful spiritually. Okay? Uh, I don't know what you want out of life, but, 
But if you are a covetous, greedy person, and that doesn't mean that's off the charts. It's just that your focus is off of God and onto other things. You will find that your life becomes increasingly spiritually ineffective and your prayers will be hindered. Let me show you that. Go over to um, Mark chapter 4. And verse 7. This is the story of the four soils. And we have the four soils. We have the one that is so hard the bird picks it up. Then we have the one that's rocky, never takes root. But then we have one where the the seed, and I know there's all sorts of different interpretations here of this, but the one where the seed starts to grow, but it doesn't produce anything. And it doesn't produce anything because um, in verse 8, and other seeds fell into the good soil, and uh, excuse me, that's one verse too far. Um, verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it, and it yielded no grain. You say, well, then what are the thorns that are choking it? Fortunately, we have this parable interpreted. Um, go over to verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire, desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. The cares of this world, all the deceitfulness of riches, all of the envy, all of the things that we focus our attention on other than God simply make us spiritually unfruitful. You don't produce fruit. Go to uh, James chapter 4. <clears throat> our prayers are hindered. Uh, not only that, <laughs> it causes dissension. You'll see that in here. Uh, James is actually dealing with that, but he says, what causes, James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are or within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures, your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So right in the context of coveting, he says you covet and then you ask God for things and you don't get it. Why? Because you're asking to spend it on yourself. You want for yourself. Your, your covetousness has invaded your prayer life. You actually think it's okay to ask God for things that he has chosen that, that you're coveting, and, and it doesn't work that way. So that's the negative side, right? Everybody convinced it's a bad thing? <laughs> it, it's the battle that we have. It's the one that takes place in our heart. So what is the antidote to it? What's the positive side of this? What is the command telling me? Because if, if we leave today and you just say, okay, well, then I'm not going to covet anymore. Well, good luck with that. Everything in society is dragging you that way. You're left unchecked. Every person will become covetous. So what's the solution? What do we do in place of that? I was thinking of Hannah and Penina. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, didn't she promise to give it back to the Lord? What's interesting is it was only once she, she offered to give that child back to God that then she was, she was given the child. Um, yeah, it's interesting because that, that, that passage, actually there's a covetousness there, um, but it wasn't until she, she was willing to give back that child to God that, that the, the prayer was answered. Okay, so back to that question. What's the, what's the, yeah, we need to change our focus and understand that the only way to be satisfied is, is to come to God and to give our lives to God. And isn't that the point of the whole Ten Commandments? And then all the way through, that's what it says. Let me take you to a couple passages in the Old Testament. One that I had the opportunity to preach on a few I don't remember how long ago. Time just sort of, everything is just in the past. But it was a while ago, I think. Last year, I think, last summer. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Um, We'll read down to about uh, verse um, 3. Come, everyone who thirsts. So we're talking about having desires. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? This is exactly what we're talking about. Why do you spend your your money? Why do you spend your time? Why do you spend your effort on things that don't satisfy? When God says, come to me, and buy what you need without money and without price. Why? Why can we buy from God without money and without price? Because Christ already paid it. Christ bought it for us. We, we have no wealth, no ability to do that. God does it for us. We can come and it's offered freely. What's offered? Um, verse two, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labors for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear this, that your soul may live. Um, We have the picture of Jesus standing there saying, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never be hungry again. Uh, Come to Jesus... But not just come to him for salvation, come to him for everything. Everything that we need to be satisfied is in Jesus Christ. Um, Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. This is a wonderful verse, a passage. Jeremiah chapter 2. And verses 12 and 13. This is a condemnation of the nation of Judah, who Jeremiah is a prophet to. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
My people have done two things. They've forsaken me, the, the fountain of living waters. Who, who else calls himself the fountain of living waters? Jesus. Jesus is the, the, the one, that's what we're talking about in the woman at the well, right? That, that um, I can give you water that you'll never have to drink again. And God says, you took and you said, I don't want that, I'm gonna build my own cistern. But what type of cistern are we able to build? Broken cisterns that don't hold water, which means instead of having water flowing out of you, you're pouring into this cistern and out of it, you lose what you poured into it. All of your time, your energy, your toil just, just goes through the bottom, it's gone. Um, go to Matthew chapter six and verse 33. We know these verses. <clears throat> and actually the whole passage goes right to this point. Um, let, let's actually start reading at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives some examples. Jump down um, to verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, uh, which, will he not be? Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you know them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, jump over to John chapter 17, and we'll end with this. Jesus talking about what eternal life is. And remember, when we talk about eternal life in the Bible, we're not just talking about life that goes on forever. We're talking about life um, that Jesus provides, the living waters, the abundant life, the life that's overflowing. Uh, that's what's meant when we talk about eternal life. Eternal life begins the minute that you enter into um, a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Um, the antidote for greed, for covetousness, for envy, is to place your affections on Jesus Christ. Colossians says, set your affections on the things above and not on the things of the earth. Um, so you can try and stop coveting, but you won't be able to do it. It's, it's kind of like the story where the demon gets cast out and nothing takes its place. Well, the demons come back and they come back uh, f f more. Uh, you can say, well, that's it. I'm never coveting. That's what Scott said this morning. It, it won't work. You, you'll deprive yourself for a while and then you'll binge. It'll all come back and it'll be, be, be back again. Instead, you have to put something else in its place. What we have to do is understand that only by placing our, uh, all of our hopes and our dreams and everything that we want on, the, on Jesus Christ and understanding that we were created to satis find our satisfaction and our, 
our happiness only in him. Um, otherwise, you're going to constantly be drifting back over into covenant. So um, it's a great, great one to end on. It really does go back and kind of you can reinterpret all the other commands in light of it. Um, why would I want to steal? Why would I want to murder? Why would I want to lie? Why would I want to do these things? Um, but it's, it's the opposite of that first command. So I, I did a lot of talking today. Everybody seemed pretty quiet, except for Darla. No one Dan talked. Oh, yeah, a bunch of you. Okay, but, um, but any comments here at this point? Because some of you may have done some thinking about this. Uh, in Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul says, bless God. If you look in the back of that, the Hebrew part of that is saying that we need to focus our day on being grateful for every single thing God gives. And if we are not grateful for everything God gives or blessing him for what he gives, it's as if we're stealing from him. And so, you know, the focus becomes being grateful for whatever comes your way. Yeah. Good. Sorry I got distracted with the rain and realizing we're probably stuck in here together for a long time. <laughs> I don't think anybody has. So I must not let you say that again. I think everybody was... I probably was the only one who was listening to the rain doing that. No, it was like, what in the world is happening out there? But uh, I think, oh, you have your windows open? Oh, okay. Well, like, look at the people taking off. It's like. Well, if it, if it lasts for another half an hour, we're all going to be late to church, I guess. So settle in. Uh, we're going to the second half here in a minute. Go, go ahead, Dan. Okay, okay. Dan, actually, Rod had something to say, and just, he's got, uh, but Dan, you have something. I think I was just, I think I heard something with Dr. Moeller, or I can't remember who it was, but it was a few maybe weeks ago or months ago, they said one of the modern traps for covetousness is social media now. So just, you know, just something that we can warn ourselves, because most of us probably have that in here, that, and they said especially for women, I don't know why you particularly picked on them, that that can be a real trap for covetousness. Yeah, the social media, because somebody, I heard somebody on the radio, not a Christian, say, you're watching the highlight reel of everybody else's life, but you're living your own life, so you look at it and you go, why can't, why can't everything be perfect in my life like it is in their lives? And yeah, very good. Excellent, excellent point. Yeah. Rod, go ahead and tell us what you were saying before, now that, now that we're over the fact that it is a downpour outside. blessing God who has blessed us. And so how do we bless God? God is the one who enriches us. We can't enrich God in any fashion. The idea of that blessing is that we are to look at God who numbers the hairs on our head and takes care of every single detail in our life and focus our day on being grateful to him and thankful for each of those details. And you take it to the furthest extent. This is the Hebrew translation I'm listening to. If you take it to that extent that if you're not being thankful to God and expressing your thanksgiving to him and you're not doing it 
out of compunction or out of ritual or anything. You're doing it because you have a true love for God. If you're not doing that, it's just you're stealing from him whatever he's giving. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if you start thinking about that, if you change the focus of our lives to always truly being thankful before him, that'll, that'll conflict a little bit with the covetousness that, that so easily attained. Yeah. Um, there actually, and I wasn't going to do this, I had a um, couple of different things where uh, people had talked about how to not be covetous. So let me just, since you've mentioned that, one of them, and there's verses for all of these, be content with God. Okay, Psalm 73 talks about that. Don't be envious of the wicked. Be satisfied with what you have. Be content with righteousness. Um, um, be content with your possessions and be, be content with the gift of life that God has given to you. Um, and then went on and talked about the, then, then that's not really enough. You have to change your focus. God is the source of all good things. Uh, here was another one um, where, uh, let's see if that was that. Lost it here. Um, don't don't covet, but give thanks, which is exact, which is why I thought of it. Ephesians five three through four. Don't covet, be content in Hebrews, and don't covet, love your neighbor, and then obviously set your attention on God Himself. So, okay, I think it's probably some of us can make a run for it now. But um, anything else? Any other comments before we're done? Yeah. Yeah. And he says that's why most of the world has walked away from Christianity because it requires, you know, like Oprah said, she walked away because God is a jealous God. And she says that doesn't sound loving because he wants all of your affection. But he says it's you, we can have happiness when we're satisfied in him because that's when he's glorified. Yep. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is a great book. And that's really the focus of John Piper's ministry is, is desire God because... Um, he actually used the phrase Christian hedonism. This is the only way that you will be happy. If you want to be happy, place your entire attention upon God himself. But do it for the, the right reason, that this is what God created you for. C.S. Lewis talks about this a lot too, that, you, that only when our affections are set entirely upon God is there any sort of satisfaction with the life that we live. So, any other comments? Tom. Scott, you asked, you know, this is the bad part of covenant. What is the good part of it? I think in the same way that the bad part requires an active pursuit of things that we want and desire, the good part of it is also active. So what's that battle? That battle, I think, is throughout Scripture we're told to train ourselves for godliness. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Put on the armor of God. I think the things that we're talking about, this righteousness, this desire for those kinds of things, calls us to be very active, to fight those temptations with pursuit of God. <coughs> yeah. Very good. I'm glad you said that. So it isn't a passive thing, oh, I just desire God. There's things that we do that 
that we have to. Yep. We will just slide back over into doing what the rest of the world does if we're not, if we're not proactive. Okay. Let's go ahead and close in prayer.